Dear Lord, we thank you for Jamie's words because that's the prayer that I had in my heart. That we'd all take away something, something just that we can learn about you, something we can apply to our lives. And that you'll be with us, teaching us. Amen. And the passage today is from Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. And it reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Now, I'm sure we've all walked into the, the TV lounge before and there's an episode going on, a movie, and it looks interesting and you want somebody just to give you a quick rundown so you can carry on watching just like they are. Well, that's exactly what the predicament that I'm in today. Why? Because we start a sermon in the last chapter of Ephesians. It is, it is in fact, the summation passage for the entire epistle. The passage addresses a war that plays out where the spiritual and physical worlds intersect. A war that is played out in our hearts and minds and ripples through our actions to the people around us. We see them and we are aware they are there, even when we do not know what we are looking at. Things like tears, smiles, love, heartache, and joy, which show a spiritual reality emanating in this physical world. Each one of us is a player in this war game. Nobody gets to sit on the bench. You are a player. You participate by what you think and the actions that flow from these thoughts. We are not talking about a rugby or netball game, even though there are many similarities. Similarities like each team has a number of unique individuals who are called to use their gifts, be it strength, stamina, agility, strategy, leadership, etc., to help win the game. However, each individual is also called to develop this uniqueness to fulfill the expectations of the position they are assigned in the team. I'm sure many of you can still hear your sports coach's voice ringing in the background. Keep your eye on the ball and make sure you're in position. The thing is, we have had other coaches in our lives as well. The devil, 
and the Holy Spirit. And what is said about them? And what does the team look like? Questions that we will get to. You see, Paul had a number of threads that ran through his epistle. Team play and building unity was one of them. He spoke of how we walked in love between wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, being a follower of Christ amidst this diversity. Learning team play is in different situations so that we can be members of his body called a church. A team with many players. In fact, nobody that asks to be in Christ's team is turned away. But who asks? In chapter 1, he says, In him we have the redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. The team you were chosen to play for in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, the game plan according to his purpose. You have a position that you will fulfill which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. The strategy has been set out a long time ago. To unite all things in him, the combined goal that we are called to, things in heaven and things on earth, connecting the spiritual and the physical, and you have a part to play in this. Here we see there is a game plan to help unite all things in him, Just to clarify, all things has a set qualifying criteria. It is limited to the saints, those who receive grace, those on God's team, those he predestined for adoption. To expand further on this unity of believers, chapter 2, 19 to 21 reads, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, the team on which you play. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the other star players that have played before you. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the best player and captain who sets the standards for the game, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows in a, <clears throat> in a holy temple in the Lord. We look to Christ for his wisdom on how to play the game like a champion. In the Old Testament, unity is given in the Mosaic Covenant and leaves you with a personal question to ask yourself, are you part of this team? One that has a blueprint of a holy nation a kingdom of priests, a church body made up of priests, every one of us, emulating this very unity according to the purpose of the team sport on how to win the game. So, how are you playing with the team? 
by walking in a manner that is worthy of the call, demonstrating godly attributes of humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, and in this way maintain the unity of the body. Paul emphasizes this unity in chapters 4, verse 5, where it states there is one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are all parts of the same body and we are called to be united in Christ, which is the purpose to build the church by emulating Jesus. Playing Jesus' game, using Jesus' strategy, with the clothing or gear that Jesus played with. For his glory. In this way we will overcome death and sin, having victory in this life and in the one to come. But before we start unraveling this game of war, what is the goal we strive for? To bear witness of the gospel of peace to the world. But like Paul puts it, this is not just a game. It is more than just a clash of titans. This is war. A war that is, has two opponents who will, who will use different strategies to beat the other team. So, what does the strategy of the devil look like? Well, you should know. You used to play for them. You used to be part of that team. Remember? Uh, we were called the sons of disobedience. You remember? I too played for them for about 36 years. From the years 1971 to 2007, I was a star player that excelled at doing things that were right in my own eyes. My favorite game plays were living for the passions of the flesh, fulfilling my self-centeredness, thinking wicked thoughts, being deceitful to others and myself, hurting others through jokes which had little, tr little truth but seemed to take a stab at the self-image. It was funny as, <clears throat> as long as they wouldn't if they didn't have a better comeback line, because then it made me mad. However, the little feelings of guilt that I did feel sometimes was only for a little while, because I would soon find something to keep my thoughts busy. I was sensual and greedy for sin, feeling cheated if I could not do something wrong before bed. Why? Because what was I going to tell my, my friends at school? But I always had a backup, fruit raids at my grand's house, an easy go-to, plus it filled the stomach, a win-win in those days. However, the manager of the team was the pit. A deceiver and a liar, willing, willing to win at all costs, we were used and abused like tools without any lasting value. 
One of my friends committed suicide and another is trying to drink himself to death like his brother did. Just another day in that team. However, now I loathe that team. I loathe what it stands for and the tactics it uses. I see it for what it is, the hell that it brings to earth. The trail of broken families and destruction that it leaves in its wake. A little boy that listens to his mother's sob. A mother who is waiting for a husband who is still drinking for the seventh time this week. A hold that does not let him love his wife like he should. To love his boy like he should. A hold that keeps him from work. That encourages him to sell stuff for liquid gold. A hold that causes shouts of anger to reverberate through the house in the early hours of the morning. Shouts that make my stomach turn until my brain would shut down and everything became still for a little while. But what can you do against it, you might ask. We put on the armor of God and we read scripture to hear what it says through God's spirit that we are sealed with, the one that opens our eyes to our true realities. He that opens our hearts to the sin and the pain that it causes. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The thing is, do you know whose side you are on? Do you know what being on God's side means? What is this? <clears throat> so this is God that took Gideon in the battle with a multitude of 300 men, a battle where they were up against a small army of only 120,000 Midianites. And just because they were at such an advantage, God then equipped them with weapons which you would not expect. War tools that take warfare to the next level. Tools that rip fear into any army of that day. Just talking about it, so just talking about them makes you think to go make you go weak in your knees. Are you ready? These 300 men were equipped with, wait for it, clay pots and trumpets. Yes. That's exactly what they thought. Put yourself in these guys' shoes and, and what they were thinking. They were thinking, God's got our backs. This is the God who wins the battle, not you. The thing is, you do, the thing is do not trust, say, do trust him like Gideon and his men did. It was never the strength of the opposition, but the strength of God that prevails. This is he who shuts the mouths of lions. This is also the God who lived and died for you, who, lived and, who lives and pardons you, 
who has drawn you from the kingdom of darkness to play on his team. His team not as a servant, but as an adopted daughter or son. He is the triune God who gives you a helper, the Holy Spirit, the one that is your guarantee and who helps you put on the armor, a coach, so to speak, one who helps you prepare to become more holy as you progress through this life and in this war, a mature veteran, so to say. Only the wise humble themselves and ask for God's strength, advice, assistance, while they march towards the goal while standing firm in him. So, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Note that we are to wear certain gear in the war, and it is not just any gear because of the opponents we will be going up against. We are to call to put on the gear that Jesus used, Jesus who did not sin when he was tempted by Satan, gear that enabled him to live a life that was submissive to the Father's will, even to the point of death on a cross, a plan that shattered the schemes of the devil and gives life to the walking dead. The armor that allows believers to withstand the schemes and attacks of the devil. Putting on, putting on our spiritual glasses, we read, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. We, <clears throat> we read the full extent of the evil powers that you cannot see. The unseen game on a spiritual battlefield. But do you believe it exists? Where do you, do you set your boundaries on what you believe? In the book of Daniel, chapter 10, we hear of an angel that is delayed for 21 days because of demons that prevented his speedy response. But only after the reinforcements in the form of Michael, one of the chief angels, was he able to, uh, to complete his journey to Daniel. Jesus tells Simon, get behind me, Satan. A physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. The convergence of both spiritual and physical realities. Simon, who is devil's tool to tempt Jesus. Simon, who encourages Jesus to take the easy way out and not to consider going to the cross. We see the intersect of these two realities when we observe actions and, and reactions in everyday life. Actions of love or hate shown towards others. We see it in tears of lies, in the laughter and joy of the thankful heart, through the pleading for forgiveness of an earnest heart, through joyful expressions of love, through the eyes of a smile. 
all spiritual things which we all know too well, but do we see God or Satan's hand in this battle? Do we know what to look for to identify these two players? Do we know God? Do we know Satan? We see people, crowds, governments, all acting illogically for short-term gains, but with long-term consequences. Assessing the situation, you wonder, how can that person do such a thing? Or when they pass a new law that will cause more harm than good, and it leaves you speechless, just seeing an exponential increase in these events perplexes you, leaving you scratching your head in pure frustration. So now listen carefully. This is a spiritual battle. And the victims put these laws into place. Victims who are blind to the truth. Victims that need the words of God. Victims that will lash out at you and want to throw you in jail. The field on which this warfare is being played is in your marriage while you raise your children at work and at church. Temptations is always there. Consider Jesus who had withstood the temptations and the devil left him for a more opportune time. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you are able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. We are at war with the devil. And the words say we are to take up. Note the term take up is, is in the aorist imperative, a command for you to act quickly and without delay, putting on the whole armor of God. This being the second time that we are called to put on the whole armor of God. So take note. Not one or two pieces, but all of it. The whole armor of God. Clearly, it must be worn as a complete set to be effective against the devil. So you will be able to stand firm on that evil day. Satan is an expert marksman who can shoot at a penny breadth. He calls, he knows your weaknesses, and that's what he will target. Are you prepared for, his, for this attack? Have you addressed everything, or do you hold on to unholy things? Secret things. Sins which need to be addressed. Those sins that you hide from everyone, Satan will exploit them. He will grow them to rule you. So deal with them. So you will be able to stand. This stand that you call to is not a standing still, but it is a holding your current course, following your Lord by imitating him. Matthew 16 verse 8, 18, it reads, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail 
You are the church that has God as its rock, spiritually. But in the physical world, it does not stand still. It is active. It is victorious in the war against the gates of hell. You are not going to be destroyed with this armor on, but you will be victorious in the battle, giving hope to the world. In closing, what lessons will be beneficial for our life, for our day-to-day living? I think just knowing that we have a spiritual and a physical battle gives us a perspective that we don't think of when people are hostile towards us, placing them as mere victims of the fight that is waged internally and manifests itself externally. However, then we need to know how to address this space. The text has told us that we are to know God. We are to rely on His strength to persevere. A quick note that this does not mean you do nothing, but you persevere on the course you're on. Learning about God and the devil so you can recognize and glorify God for the work he's doing in your marriage, house, community, country, and world. Living your life in this dark world, being able to stand firm in the armor of God and in his strength, even if you are in jail like Paul. Note praying for an easy life. No, not praying for an easy life, but for the strength to persevere in this one. So go home, sorry, so go home emulating Christ by walking in love, being a child of light, being good and right and true to God. And next time we will look at the whole armor of God.